0: It's already pulled up. Um, good morning. Uh, today we're reading out of 1 Corinthians 12, so if you guys want to flip there. Oh, that's cool. <clears throat> now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one says, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them, uh, empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To the other, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to others the interpretation of tongues all of these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills for just as one body uh, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do nothing to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the b- whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indisposable. Now you are the body of Christ, an individual mem- and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? do all interpret? but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, you're good. Um, You've given us so many incredible gifts, but Lord, these spiritual gifts that we're talking about today um, are just awesome. And we want to take the time to just say thank you. Um, The gift of so many different members in this this one body of Christ, Lord, we want to thank you. Um, What a gift it is to be a part of this fellowship of the branch. Um, Lord, we just thank you for Josh. As he is also a member of this body, um, he's going to come up and and talk about about this chapter and dive deep into it. Lord, we just pray a blessing from him, Lord, or for him. Um, something I respect about Josh is he doesn't say anything unless it's from you, Lord. And um, I just pray a blessing over him and in saying your words and encouraging us as one body to to come together and um, dive deeper into your words, Lord. Um, God, we thank you. We love you. It's in your holy, your precious, and your wise name, we pray. God, Amen.
1: Joel. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good to see you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Finally, somebody after all these years responds to that question. Um, guys, there are words that we use, and uh, when we use them a certain way, uh, sometimes it's revealed that we don't really know what we're saying. There's words that we use, and we use them all the time, but we don't really know what we mean by them. Um, uh, Friday, as I was I got home from work, I was actually finishing writing this message, and I promised Gus that I was going to play baseball with him when I got home. If you don't know, Gus is my five-year-old son. And uh, I get home with him, and he and my seven-year-old daughter want to play with me, okay? So we go out in the yard, we're going to play, and for some reason Eden, my daughter, thinks it'll be great if we can divide up into teams. There's three of us, okay? I was like, this isn't a good idea. She's like, no, 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 she has this great idea. She says, me and you, dad, will be on a team, and then Gus can be on one team. And uh, Gus looked at us, really sad, really discouraged, and he goes, guys, I'm not that famous. (laughs) I am not that famous. I was like, what do you mean, buddy? Like, you're famous to me? What are you talking about? And he explained. He goes, I'm not famous like Zeke. Zeke is our neighbor kid who's a really gifted athlete for being eight. He's like, I'm not famous like Zeke. Zeke can be on his own team. I'm not famous. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, that's adorable, you know, let's just hit the ball around, okay? And it was, it was done. But I, I think that I look at a situation like that, I'm like, yes, you're misusing the word famous. Like, it's cute, but you're misusing it. You don't really know what famous means. I know what famous means, but then I thought, um, do I really know what the word spiritual means? And do I use the word spiritual in the way that God really designs and desires for me to use the word Spiritual. Because it might not be cute if I misuse it, honestly. What, it, what in the world do we think it means to be spiritual? What do you think that means? To be a spiritual person? Uh, and what in the world is a spiritual gift? What's a spiritual gift? I think when we think of what it means to be spiritual, uh, we can think of meditation or, or having the personal devotions or talking in, in lofty sort of abstract God terms or something. So um, when you feel like a spiritual person, what is it that you see yourself doing? When you say, I'm doing something spiritual, what do you envision yourself doing? What is that? See, the church in Corinth prided itself on being spiritual. They thought they were really spiritual. And in these first couple of verses here in chapter 12, Paul's addressing this. He's referring to their background. He's like, you guys, were pagans from a pagan culture that was very spiritual, and people did a lot of very spiritual type of things. And they've brought their background into the church, and what the church was doing, actually, is elevating certain gifts that God had given to the church as these primary ways of expressing their spirituality. The primary one that Paul's addressing here is the gift of tongues. And if you think I'm going to talk about tongues today, I'm going to disappoint you because that's not until chapter 14, okay? Okay. But nonetheless, they think they're these really spiritual people. And to sum up, he wants them to come to this place, this central place to understand what it really means to be spiritual and therefore how the spiritual gifts are played out in the life of the church. And to sum up in verse 3, he says that to be truly spiritual, is essentially what he says in verse 3, to be truly spiritual is to say and do things that at their center have Jesus as Lord. It's not to abandon Jesus... It's to bow the heart to Jesus. So being spiritual is, in fact, showing the Spirit. It's, it's, it's showing the Spirit of God in the world. And when the Spirit is being shown in the world, Jesus is being bowed down to. That's how he starts this whole thing that runs from chapter 12 through 14. See, this church had taken spiritual gifts that God had given to them, and they were using them to try and stand out from one another. And God's wanting to bring them back to a place of unity and to a place of remembering even the purpose of these gifts. And finally, to a place of functioning in this beautiful design that God has for them in this church. And so you'll see that um, outline behind me, I believe. Uh, we see the unity of the gifts in verses 4 through 6. We see the purpose of the gifts in 7 through 11. And then finally, we see these gifts and how they're meant to function in verses 12 through 31. So first, the things we see here is the unity of of the gifts, we see this in verses four through six, because Paul says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of ser- varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So I just want you to think about what he's doing here just for a second, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like you were to type in on Google Maps, Corvallis, Oregon, and what happens when you type that in? your screen loads or whatever they say it does, right? And all of a sudden you look at your screen and you're zoomed in on, on Corvallis, aren't you? But if that's all that you see, you don't really know much about Corvallis. You don't understand Corvallis truly because you don't see Corvallis in relation to the whole thing, right? And so the, the further you zoom out of Corvallis, you begin to understand some things about Corvallis. You're like, oh, wow, this is a city, right? Oh, look, it has a university in it. Oh, look, this is a, a part of a, a, the valley, and then it's a part of this state, and it's a part of this country, and this continent, and, and it's part of, this, part of this whole world. Like, we're a part of this huge thing going on here. And what had happened is these people were so zoomed in on their own personal lives and whatever gift they thought they had or wanted to have, and Paul, right in the beginning here, is saying, we need to zoom out for a second. We need to zoom out and to take in what is actually going on here. Because there's a unity to your gifts that you're missing, So he zooms out, and in these four verses here, these few verses here, he says that there isn't just one gift, there's a variety of gifts. There's not just one type of service, but a variety of types of service. There isn't just one activity, there's a lot of activities. And so what do we do? Do we go, okay, cool, that's good to know, great perspective. We already knew that. Is that what it means to zoom out? Not at all. What's his point? He says, therefore, so with that being the case, our gifts, they're not in competition with one another. They're not disconnected from each other. One's not better than another. Why? Because they are are a part of one great reality that Paul attaches it to here. The triune God. Do you see this? We see our Trinitarian God spelled out in verses 4 through 6. There's one spirit. There's one Lord. We already know who that is in verse 3. It's Jesus. There's one God, which is a reference to God as Father here. And do you see what... God is doing here. He is the one empowering these gifts in everyone. So the reason you're even able to do whatever it is that you're doing is because God is empowering you to do it. Do you see this? Whatever it is that, that you have is from God, and we are actually one. We are one. That's the reality, because we are one in this God, right? The perspective that we're supposed to see is that we carry differences, but should be unified because our God is distinct in his Godhead, yet he is one, he is unified. Um, I brought a picture for you, should be on the screen. We pull this puppy up, yes, all right. So this is a picture of my wife's family, so it's now my family, okay, so I'm married into this family. This is my wife's family, don't worry, they're not all brothers and sisters, that'd be crazy, right? Um, But this lady, right? look who's right in the middle there, this sweet little old lady. She's no longer with us. Uh, Her name is Grandma Hank, okay, Grandma Hank. And she is just a precious, precious lady, okay, knew Jesus, loved Jesus. And it is because of her that this whole family is even here. And you don't even need to know who these people are, honestly. And, And you know that right away we are probably very different people, Right, I mean, We just know this. You, you look at any group of people, and right away, you can assume we're all very different people. We have different personalities. We have different gifts. We have different values. We have different beliefs. And I'm, I'm really certain that many of us on our own terms in this family wouldn't even be friends. We wouldn't even associate with each other if it were not for the fact that we are part of one family. But this family all came from this one woman this one woman. She is the one who's like united this family for so long, the matriarch of this family. So if there's ever any differences, any discord or whatever, we still come back together because of Grandma Hank, right? She's the the unifying feature, the unifying person in the midst of all our differences. She is the one that has brought this family together. Guys, in a similar way, in the church, we are a family. We're the family of God. And there is a sameness about us, but it's not uh, in our giftings. Our sameness is found in our God, the, the originator of our family. The sameness that we're supposed to have is that we have the same God. What unites us in our differences is God. That The moment, guys, that you step foot into a church, into the community of Jesus, you are immediately bonded with a bond that is deeper than any affinity or any life experience, you are united by your belonging to the same God. The same God. What unites us in the branch, in, in this one community. It's not our season of life. It's not our preferences, our clothing styles, our, our hobbies, right, or our musical taste. It's not even the fact that many of you go to Oregon State and have the same university. It's not even the fact that we live in the same town or the same valley. What unites us in this room and make goes, makes us go from strangers to family is our God. That's the thing that we share in common. It's this perspective that Paul zooms out on and goes, you must have this, that our gifts are different. But although they are different, they are There's a fundamental unity to them because we have the same God who gives them and empowers them. So this is the perspective we must have. We have the same God, the same Lord, and with that perspective in mind, you then need to know what the purpose of these spiritual gifts are. We see this in verses 7 through 11. Uh, Verse 7, you guys, uh, is the critical verse, honestly, of this entire chapter. It's It's like the hinge verse. What does it say? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. To each is given. There is something that you need to hear this morning. That if you have believed in Jesus, if you have repented of your sin, and by faith believed in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've done that, right, you have the Spirit What the Bible teaches you you look down even in verse 13. Verse 13 even describes how we are baptized. We are baptized when we believe in Jesus into one body. You aren't baptized into like outer space or something, right? And you just float around this world on your own, okay? You are brought into the community of faith. And it says at the end of verse 13 that this is done in pairing with receiving the Spirit. It says, all were made to drink of one Spirit. All were made to drink of one Spirit. So it's saying you have the Spirit if you're a Christian. Then verse seven tells you that you've been given, therefore, a spiritual gift, at least one. So no one is giftless. No one. No one is giftless. To each is given. You have something critical to offer people. You, you matter in the life of this church. And I'm, I'm certain that some of you this morning uh, just really need to hear that. That maybe all week you've just been believing lies where you think I, I don't matter, I have nothing to offer. And we see clearly that all followers of Jesus have something significant to offer and we see that God has given gifts to each believer, to each believer. Verse 11 says God has apportioned each gift to each one individually as he wills. Do you see that in verse 11? In verse 18, what does it say? God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So just think about this. Think about the gift that God has given you. God was specific. God was intentional in the gifts that he has given to you. No one is giftless, and it's not some random mistake or whatever. You are gifted. And then, if you look down in verses 8 through 10, you see this list of some of these gifts. But this list, um, if you think about it, in fact, is only one list of, of six lists in the New Testament that lists out different spiritual gifts. And there's something really important to think about uh, when you read a, a list like this. Because when you put together all these lists, you notice a few things. If you look at all the spiritual gift lists in the New Testament, uh, they're not the same, they don't have the same order. Some gifts are in one list and not another, and some gifts are in one list and not another. So you arrive at a few conclusions when you read different spiritual gift lists in the Bible. Uh, Number one, that there isn't a priority or a better than or less than in them, okay? Number two, that they're not exhaustive. The Bible hasn't given you every spiritual gift and listed it out so that you can compile them, and then we can, like, pass out spiritual gift tests this morning to you, and you could take these tests and go, what's my... That's my gift, you know, because I'm certain that's what you're asking right now, right? You're like, this is sweet. Are we going to do like the Enneagram this morning, you know? This is going to be awesome, right? But that's that's not at all what's happening here, right? What's important to know is that you have a gift. You have a gift. If you know Christ, you have a gift, at least one. And often your gifts, they might be paired with your natural abilities that God has already given you because God made you, okay? So it, it might very well be paired to your natural abilities that God has already given you, And now that you have the spirit, you use that natural ability in a way that that manifests his spirit, right, that builds up the church. And sometimes you might be given a gift that was completely foreign to you before you knew Jesus, right? I doubt anyone's like performing healings and stuff before they knew Jesus, right? I mean, there's some things in this list that you read and you're like, well, that wasn't a part of my life before today, you know, so there's some things that can be given to you after the fact. So again, you might be asking naturally, um... Okay, so if I have a gift, what, how can I tell, you know? Again, is there a test or something like that? And um, there, there's just not. Um, well, we can do something. God never gave a, a test in the New Testament for you to sur- discer- discover what your gifts are. What we are meant to do is to discern what our gifts are. Not to plug in some questions and to get some results or something. right, so that's just what we do. We discern, and so we discern these things not in isolation. We discern these things in community. So we ask our faith community to help us to see what it is that God has put in us, what God has put in us. Uh, The most helpful way that I think I can can say this morning to think about how you can even begin to discern the gifts that God has given to you is um, just by thinking in terms of three concentric circles. Okay, I tried to draw a fixture for you, but I can't do it. Okay, so you're going to have to go with my words, okay? Um, but just think of three concentric circles, okay? So if you're trying to discern what giftings that God has given to you, you do this in community, right? And one of the first uh, circles you look at is go, what are the abilities that God has given me? What are the abilities that God has given me? So in other words, if you're a terrible teacher, your spiritual gift is probably not teaching, okay? Right? Um, if, if you're really bad at organizing things, okay, your gift is probably not administration, okay? So, you look at your ability, okay? Your ability. Secondly, you look at your affinity. This one's the most uh, helpful thing, I think. It's basically to look at the things in the life of the church, and when those things aren't happening, what are the things that bother me the most? So, for me, um, Uh, I've I've learned over time that I really do think that one of the gifts God's given me is hospitality. I really desire to make people feel welcome and a part of what we're doing. Because if hospitality is breaking down in our church, it really bothers me. But there's other things that break down and I'm like, that's fine, you know? So that's the idea of affinity. What are the things that God's given to me that I really care about, that I'm I'm passionate about or I'm concerned about or whatever it is? That's affinity. The third thing is just need. Because we're a part of a community of faith here And there's just needs for people to do certain things. So when these three circles, if you will, come together, it's at that point that you can discern in a greater way by asking your fellow believers around you what it is that you see in me, we can begin to discern maybe what our gifts are, what our gifts are, ability, affinity, and need. So this is awesome, okay? But it's not just so you would feel awesome. It's not so you would leave here this morning and you're like, dang it, I knew it was that gift. I didn't want that gift. You know, I wanted that other one. That's not the whole point of this, okay? Not at all, because what is the purpose of these gifts? Verse seven spells it out. It's to manifest the spirit. To each is given manifestations of the spirit. These are manifestations of the spirit. These things that you would call natural things and supernatural things, all of them are manifestations of the spirit. They are showing the Spirit. But they're not to show off yourself, they're to show off God. That's what these are. Well, how do they show off God? How do they show the Spirit? We'll look at the second part of verse 7 as they are used for the common good. For the common good. The purpose for your gift is to manifest the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. You have a gift, you guys and it's clearly not for you, it's for the common good. Do you realize how much this changes everything? Because whatever it is that God has given to me, whether it's things I'm passionate about, things I'm good at, it's not to further myself in life, it's to further others. It's not to gaze in the mirror and to adore myself, it's to look out the window, right? It's not to seek to get, it's to seek to give. It's not to be benefited, it's to benefit other people. This is the purpose of gifts given by God. They're to display Him and are for the good of other people. You have a gift, and it's not a gift that you own, it's a gift that you steward. It's a gift that you steward, and it's by actually using it for the common good that you're showing the Spirit of God. That's what makes these things spiritual. They're not focused on you, they're focused on God, okay? It's a gift that you steward, not a gift you own. I, I think we know the difference between these two things. Um, just like yesterday, uh, my family, we celebrated um, both Tucker, my oldest son, and my two-year-old's birthday, Isla, okay? It was like birthday day. We're in birthday season, psycho. Every Birthday every week, pretty much. Um, and they got some gifts yesterday. And so, uh, my two-year-old got these cute little sunglasses from her aunt, Okay, these adorable little sunglasses. And I'm, I'm sure that her aunt would love for her to put those sunglasses on on a sunny day to protect her eyes from the sun, okay? I'm sure that would be great if she did that. But nobody got a gift yesterday with strings attached. Because when you give a gift to somebody, what do you say? You say, yeah, do whatever you want with it. It's yours, right? I gave you a gift, do whatever you want with it. So if Isla wants to use that as a spoon to stir her fictitious tea in her fake tea set that's fine, right? She can use it however she wants. It's hers, right? If she wants to flush it down the toilet, that's fine, right? Not fine, I guess, but it's fine in some ways, right? I mean, she owns it, right? It's hers. She can do whatever she wants with it, okay? But there are different kinds of gifts that we get that aren't things we own. We steward them. I've told many of you about this, but um, uh, a little over a year and a half ago, we sent out our former associate pastor, Stephen, to be the pastor of another church. And when he left, we were just really close friends. And when he left, he gave me his most prized possession, his copy of uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, okay? And this is like his prized possession. It's his favorite book next to the Bible. I love the book too. If you've never read it, you should read it. There's actually a copy out in the book table, okay? But nonetheless, he didn't just give me a copy of Pilgrim's Progress. He gave me a copy from, like, that was printed in the late 1700s, like in this case, okay? It's this precious gift, this precious copy of this book. Now, he didn't give me that book and say, yeah, it's yours. Do whatever you want with it. I mean, he, even if he said that, that's not what he means, right? Because we're going to have an elder meeting at my house tonight and have a, a bonfire kind of thing. I'm not going to go, hey, guys, let's just use that for kindling tonight. You know, let's get the fire started with this. <laughs> hey, he said I can use it however I wanted, right? I own it, right? That, that would be an abuse of what I've received from Stephen, right? I can't do whatever I want with it. I have to steward this gift. Whatever I do with this book, I want to use it in a way that honors Stephen because he gave me this gift and I didn't deserve it. That's how we use our gifts, I don't own them, they're not for me, I wanna honor God with them and use them the way that he has intended for me to use them, that's what these gifts are for, they're for God, so I don't get to decide what I do with them, I just don't. And he's given them for the common good, not your own good. That means these aren't for your own glory, they're for God's glory, they're not to maximize your individual relationship with God. They're, for you. they're not for you to build an identity off of. Uh, there's a quote that will be on the screen behind me. It's from John Flavel. He's this uh, old Puritan from the 1600s. He says, all of our excellencies, all of them, they're borrowed excellencies. There is no reason, therefore, to be proud of any of them. Thine excellencies, God's excellencies, whatever they are, they are borrowed from Christ. I'm borrowing them. So that I would show the Spirit, so that a city like Corvallis would go, God is, is here. We, we've seen the unity, we've seen the purpose, and now we get into the, the people that actually use these gifts, the functioning of these gifts. We're zooming in now, right? We're zooming in. Okay, so the functioning of these gifts. And there's actually three quick things that we see here about how these gifts, if you understand these two things, how we use these things now in the body of Christ. We see this in verses 12 to 31, And the very first thing that we see, there should be all three of them on the screen. Okay, great, sweet, thanks. Um, we shouldn't desire sameness. But then strangely, the second thing we see is that we should desire sameness. And the last thing you see is like, how in the world we could even live the sameness and not sameness out? So the first thing you see in verses 12 through 21 is that we shouldn't desire sameness the reason is because we need each other's differences. See, in verses 12 through 21, Paul goes on this um, teaching using the metaphor of a human body to describe the church. There's a metaphor here that's trying to help us to understand how we need each other. And we need, in fact, we need each other to be different than us. The metaphor Paul adapts was actually an image that was really commonly used uh, in the Roman Empire. This is actually very important. Um, in uh, In the Roman Empire, they would use this image. So, and this is how it was used. So, back during the Roman Empire, the plebeians they were the lowest class in society, and they were kind of abused and oppressed and just ignored in society. And so, they were in plans of proposing a revolt against the empire. And this guy Agrippa, he came along and he convinced the plebeians that although they were not very noticeable in society and he referenced them to be like the stomach or something. You don't see it, but he says, you guys are really important. You're really important to this society. But this is the thing about Agrippa. He wasn't saying this because he actually thought they were important. He was saying this because he was attempting to keep the masses down. He didn't want to revolt. So here's the cool thing. Paul uses the same metaphor here to refer to the church. He refers to the unity of the body not to keep a group in the church down who feel like they're not important and to say, No, you're really important, but then to turn around to, like, the teachers and prophets, and you're like, but you guys are really important. You know, I'm just trying to make sure they don't get upset. You know, that's not why Paul's doing it, not at all. He's telling them this so that they would respect and appreciate each other. So notice what this metaphor does. It brings people down who are really prideful and think that whoever they are, whatever gift they have is so great. It brings them down, right? Because you go, you need somebody else. And it brings up the people who are like, I don't matter. I, I don't belong here. I don't, I don't contribute in any way. It brings those people up. <laughs> see, his point is, if you see it, he says a single eye or a single foot is useless. There's just an eyeball rolling around on the stage or a foot just sitting here. It can't go anywhere, right? It needs the other parts of the body even move, right? Like, we, we get the idea. Like, it doesn't work. So his point is that any Christian needs other Christians in order to do what it is that God has designed you to do. God has designed the church, just think of this, like that. One of God's agendas is to go to war against your self-sufficiency. That's one of God's great agendas, to to purge you of your self-centeredness. This this goes to war against your self-sufficiency. And it goes against our thinking that who we are is who everybody else should be. This is the way I think. This is the way that I am. Everyone else should be this way. Don't you all wish you were me? Right? It kind of goes against that. No believer, guys, no believer has all the gifts. Only Jesus had all the gifts. I mean, I used, to think, I used to think that everything that was important in the kingdom of God was something that I had to be involved in. And I still struggle to think that way. And you might think this way. You're like, well, teaching would be a good thing. I should I should teach. Right? Or uh, you might feel the need to be involved in some full-fledged ministry that helps the poor or fights human trafficking or ministers to single families or um, is involved in the foster care system. You might think that you need to get better at administration because it's in the Bible. You know, you should just give up, okay? Uh, there are some of you who might think, I need to lead women's ministry and men's ministry. Or I need to be on the hospitality team, serve in children's ministry, and play an instrument all on the same Sunday. You know, just... Just rest, my child, rest, okay? Um, You don't have the bandwidth to be involved in everything. And all it's going to do, honestly, is to make you feel constantly exhausted and guilty all the time. Uh, Our answer, then, is that we need each other. Our answer is in the spiritual gifts. It means that not everything that falls from heaven has your name on it. It has somebody else's name on it, probably. You are a creature, and creatures can't do everything. You have limited bandwidth. God can do everything, though. And the way that he works is through our plurality in our unity. We should embrace our limitation, then, and be grateful that we are a part of a greater whole. Therefore, we should never desire sameness because that would be of no advantage to us, and it would never show off the Spirit. So we are a diverse Yet one body for a great reason, in verse 21, climaxes this idea here to where we go, I can't say I have no need of you. I can't say that because I absolutely need you. I need you. That's really hard to say, isn't it? I mean, think about that. How often have you said that to somebody? I need you. I am insufficient in and of myself. I mean, that's a really difficult thing to admit, that I'm incomplete, that I have needs, that I can't be everything, do everything. We need each other, and God has made his people in such a way that we do need each other, and that means what? We need you. We need you. There's great need for you. If you're a you, I'm talking to you right? For all of us to play our part. Number two, we should desire sameness. The sameness we should desire, though, Paul says, is our care for each other. You see this in verse 25. It's the big idea of the section. God composed the body that the members may have the same care for one another. There's a sameness we should have. The sameness is the kind of care we have for each other. The way we care for one another here is spelled out. He spends time in verses 21 through 24 spelling this out, that we honor one another, and when someone else is honored, we rejoice, because in essence, we're being honored. When someone else suffers, we all suffer, right? And the the, the metaphor he uses again is the physical body, and we get this, right? I mean, the pain of another member of your physical body The whole body experiences that. So I don't stub my toe and my toe doesn't cry. No, my eyes and my mouth do something. My brain's like, why'd you do that again, right? My body physically doesn't look at my toe and I'm like, are you serious guy? Like again, you did it again? Like we don't look at the toe and get mad at the toe or something, do we? We just go, no, I hurt my toe. I hurt myself, even though the toe is throbbing, right? In the same way, when someone's honored, we don't get jealous or something. It's not like if someone walks up to me and they're like, hey, nice biceps, you know? My legs aren't like, man, the biceps, there they go again, just (laughs) all going to their head, you know? Uh, No, my whole body's like, yeah, of course, thank you. You know, the whole body's honored because of the biceps. You're you're jealous, I get it, okay? (laughs) So here's the thing. It not only must be this way. This is not saying it must be this way. That's not what these verses are saying here to you. It's saying that it is this way. Do you see that? It doesn't say that you should do this. It says all. It doesn't say that there would be no division of the body, but if the members, they should have the same care for one another, because if one member suffers, all suffer. It doesn't say they should suffer. It says they all do. If one member is honored, all rejoice. It doesn't say that you should rejoice, it says all rejoice. This is not the way that it should be, it's the way that it is. And so here's the thing. If we don't live this way, then those are truth-telling signs that we are not functioning like a body. We are functioning like individual members. It's just telling you what's real. This is how it works. So think of the positive, how beautiful would it be if when someone is honored in our faith community, we all just swelled up with joy, we don't feel like we're being left out, we, we don't f- wish that people were honoring us. Right? How beautiful would it be when if someone is suffering, we suffer with them, we mourn with them, we show up, we're present. We don't go, I'll pray for you, and then not pray for them, and walk off. This is the people of God. They don't desire sameness and gifting, because they realize in each other's differences, but they do desire sameness in their care for each other. So how does this work? How does this ever become a reality? Well, we only function in these two ways when we function in this last way, only when we walk the most excellent way. This is the only way it works if we walk in this most excellent way. Just to be clear, I'm not trying to avoid all the verses from uh, verse 27 to 31, but these verses are more talking about how there should be order in the church and how the church as a whole should desire these more ordered gifts that aren't just charismatic as much. And he's going to get more into this in chapter 14, so I'll address it then. But he says to him at the end, I will show you a more excellent way. There's a way that all of us must walk if this is going to be a real thing. If we don't walk the way, then this can never be the thing. What I've described for you. Well, what's the way? It's the path of love. He said, I'm gonna show you more excellent way. Chapter 13. We must wrap our hearts with the blanket of love that we've received from God. It's not a human love, it's love that we've been loved with. It's love that comes from God. We must wrap these gifts in that love if we're ever going to desire difference, yet sameness. If we're ever going to use our gifts for the common good, and therefore show the Spirit, love is the excellent way, it's the bedrock of the path that we have to walk. I mean, people often think that chapter 13 is just inserted here to, to read at weddings or something, but not at all. It's not like Paul wrote First Corinthians on note cards and dropped them as like, oh, I don't remember the order. Well, let's just put this one in here, you know? That 13 is here for a really important reason, right? First Corinthians 12 and 14 are about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is about the greatest of all of the spiritual fruit, love. There's a vast difference, yet complementarity between gifts and fruit. And we must ask here, well, where does love come from? If I'm going to love in this way, where does it come from? How in the world can I walk in love with one another and not jealousy or rivalry? Well, we receive love, and we are able to love love not from being given a spiritual gift. Love is not a spiritual gift that some people have and some people don't. It's a spiritual fruit that shows who has the Spirit. So we receive love and are able to love not from being given a spiritual gift, but from experiencing and believing in the greatest gift that God has ever given to you. Do you know there is a gift that God has given you that is the most treasured gift? That when you've received it, it'll put all the other gifts in their proper place. It'll make whatever gift you think you have, if it's your intelligence or your compassion, whatever it is, it'll just make that fade into the background. What's the greatest gift that God has ever given you? It's not an ability. It's a person. I have these few verses on the screen here. Isaiah 9 tells you about this gift that's coming, this person. Unto us a son is given. We looked at this in December. This is describing a king that's coming. John three sixteen. Jesus says, God loved the world, and so he gave his only son. The son is the same son as Isaiah 9 is describing. It's Jesus. The greatest gift that we've ever been given, you guys, is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the Lord that you bow your heart to. And it's through Jesus, then, that we have received the gift that we so desperately needed. You didn't need a gift or an ability to do something in the church. What you needed the gift of is redeeming grace. You needed salvation from your sin. And so we see in Ephesians 2, 8, that the grace that we've been given, we've been saved by faith, and this is not of our own doing, it is the what? Gift of God. That your salvation is the greatest gift. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see that God's son was torn apart because of your sin? Jesus' life was the greatest gift ever offered and received by you, by you. And when that becomes your defining gift, then all the other gifts fall into place. When you receive the love that God has loved you with, you can then and only then have the resources and the desire to walk the more excellent path that you have to walk if you're going to live into 1 Corinthians 12. Only then will we function in sameness, yet not sameness. Only then will we live out the purpose of our gifts. Only then can I actually lift off my eyes from myself and onto the great triune God who unifies us and has made us one. We are one. And this is all a reality for us because what? We've received the greatest gift, Jesus. This is what it means to be spiritual, you guys. You know this. It's to receive the gift of Christ and therefore receive the Spirit and realize that God has given you gifts to use for the common good. And when you do that, that shows the spirit. And people who live in a place like Corvallis go, oh, I see it, I see it. God is a demonstrating God and he's gonna demonstrate himself through his church. And the way that we respond to this every week is by coming forward as followers of Christ and we take this meal that causes us to remember the greatest gift that we, we have. And as we come this morning to take this communion meal together, it's my hope that you would bask in that gift once again. And you realize that God has given you things, gifts, because of your regeneration that are to be used for others in this church. You matter, we need you for the sake of God's glory here in this city. Let's all stand to our feet, pray with me as we go into our time of response. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would rip us out of our individualistic mindsets and our concerns, God, to be certain people. God, but I, I pray that as we respond to you today, that you, we would see that you have made us someone. That I don't, we don't, I don't need to make myself somebody, God. You have made us someone. You've transferred us from darkness to light. You've given us a new identity in your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes that we would see that we are one, that we are one body. We are your body. And I pray there would be like a sobering scent to that this morning. Lord Jesus, may we we love you and adore you in the way that you deserve. Reveal yourself to us, God, that we might taste of your sweet grace again. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.